Escape Pod 7 June 23rd 2005 Today's story, The Trouble with Death Traps, by Marjorie James Hi, I'm Steve Ely. You already know that this is Escape Pod. Now, I had a really nice intro lined up for you today about the very newly invented Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance 2 The Drinking Game. But I just saw something the other day on Slashdot that I wanted to bring some attention to. Uh, There was a guy there talking about science fiction, and I don't remember the exact topic, but he had a link. He was pointing at the Mundane SF Manifesto. Now, I don't know if you've seen this or not. It's at MundaneSF.com. I'm pretty sure it's a joke. It was created by a couple of Clarion students, and knowing novice science fiction writers as I do, it's probably done over beers. And anyway, they put together this manifesto. I have some issues with it. I don't think it's just jealousy because they got slash dotted and I didn't either. Their manifesto posited a number of points about what they thought were problems with current science fiction being too fantastic, too out there. Uh, It included points like, We, the undersigned, agree that interstellar travel remains unlikely. Warp drives, wormholes, and other forms of faster-than-light magic are wish-fulfillment fantasies rather than serious speculation about a possible future. We agree that magic interstellar travel can lead to an illusion of a universe abundant with worlds as hospitable to life as this Earth. This is also unlikely. Now, it goes on like that for quite a while. At the bottom, they agree that they're going to produce a collection of mundane science fiction consisting of stories that follow these rules. And the rules are no interstellar travel, travel is limited to within the solar system and is difficult, time-consuming, and expensive, no aliens, unless the connection's distant, difficult, tenuous, and expensive, and they don't have interstellar travel, Um, no alternate universes or parallel worlds, no magic or supernatural elements, no time travel or teleportation. Yeah, I think they left out talking cats, but that's a pretty exhaustive list. Now, here's my problem with this. These guys, they can do whatever they want. They say they can come up with good SF with the premise, this Earth is all we have, let's make the best of it. Well, they're probably right. Good for them. They probably can write good stories that way. I'll read them. Hell, send them to me. I'll podcast them. My problem with it is if this thing catches on. Writers BSing over beers, coming up with manifestos, hey, I've been there, I've done that. But as a movement, this would be very dangerous to the genre. Why? It's because science fiction is not, and it must not be, defined by a list of what not to write. That is antithetical to the literature of the imagination. Science fiction is about possibilities, and if you accept that, then any possibility which makes for a cool story is a valid possibility. That's what I subscribe to. I expect that most of you don't have a list of themes that you don't want to read about. Neither do I. So that's my take on the mundane SF manifesto. No, sir, I don't like it. Now, next week, I think I'll talk about another science fiction manifesto that I do like. Unless I talk about taking shots every time my elven necromancer dies instead. Speaking of, today's story is The Trouble with Death Traps by Marjorie James. It's a cheerful fantasy story about the sorts of people who build those infernal devices that... Well, kill my elven necromancer. Miss James lives in California. Her works have appeared in Orchard Press Mysteries and Future's Mysterious Anthology magazine. 
This one has mysteriously not been published before. So hold on to the guide rails and watch your step. It's story time. The Trouble with Death Traps by Marjorie James Imagine a jungle. Furnish it with dense foliage, the appropriate animal noises, and an all-encompassing humidity. Don't forget the toucans. To this place, add one small kingdom. Give it fields and gatherings of thatched huts. In the center, place two grand stone buildings on their own small hills. One is huge and rectangular, and was apparently designed by someone who thought you could never have too many decorative columns or vaguely menacing statues. The other, though still under construction, appears to be destined to be even larger and gaudier than its neighbor. This is Zapalit, where it is the 73rd morning of the third year of Prince Lachette's reign, and there is a lot going on. Construction was well underway on a new great temple to protect and honor the sacred idol of Lobnot, the old one having succumbed to dry rot some months before. The new one was to be a fashionable, square-based pyramid made of 327 elaborately carved blocks of stone, which was, incidentally, twelve more than could be found in the new temple in Chindin, two kingdoms over. For the delicate and essential task of protecting the sacred relic, only the best would do, and so, even though some very competitive bids were made, the job ultimately went to Znob of Anrit, who had the reputation of being the most professional, most reliable, and most expensive man around. For his part, Znob considered his fees more than fair, particularly when his duties included the training of new apprentices. Don't kick that! A razor-sharp blade shot out of the wall and whipped in front of the teen's face. Znob hauled him back and spun him around. First thing you have to learn in this business, never kick anything. Got that? Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. Good. Sir? Yes. What's the second thing? The builder shot a sideways look at his apprentice. The boy didn't look like he was trying to make fun of him. In fact, his face wore the same devoted, slightly worried expression that had been there ever since Snob had agreed to take him on. The villagers had all insisted he was the brightest young man their village had ever produced, which caused his new master to wonder sourly how they had managed to survive this long at all. Sighing, he set down his tools. Uh, listen, um, what was your name again? Qualin is Munettle, sir. He must have caught a glimpse of his boss's expression, because he hastened to add, People generally call me Qual. Znob nodded, a bit relieved. Right. Well then, listen, Qual. The whole point of this business is to build things that will kill people. That makes it basically kind of dangerous, so just try to be careful, okay? Yes, sir. Good. Now where were we? You were calibrating the triggering device for these whirling blades of death, sir. Hmm, right. He lifted a paving stone to reveal an intricate system of weights and pulleys below. So we still have to deal with this overcompensation problem. Uh, If I could make a suggestion, sir? Perhaps we could counterbalance it with the poison darts on the other wall. That would take care of the weight problem, and it would make it pretty impossible for someone to get past here alive. Znob looked at Qual, then down at his plans, then back at his apprentice. Maybe the boy wasn't going to be a total loss after all. He was actually considering saying something to that effect when they were interrupted by his third least favorite thing. The client had just arrived on the job site. Well, well, how are things coming along here? No trouble with your little devices, I hope. 
The high priest was a shortish, chunky man with thinning hair and fluttering hands. He picked his way over the tools and around the still-extended blade, grimacing at it as he passed. "'I hope that this is not your idea of a subtle trap.' "'We were just working on the retraction mechanism for that one.' Znob made a point of never calling his client sir, or madam as the case may be, whatever their stature. By his reasoning, someone who knew 326 ways to kill a person outranked just about anyone. They put up with it because he was the best.' "'Well, his divinity the prince was very interested in the plans you showed us. Very interested.' "'Glad to hear it,' Snob said, and waited. The priest rubbed his nose and coughed unnecessarily. "'Still, it does remain unclear to me why it must be that all of your traps can be circumvented. I was hoping to talk to you about that.' Snob's expression didn't change, but inwardly he groaned. How many times was he going to have to explain it before they understood? He looked over at Qual, who was busy cranking the blade back into place. At least this would be a good opportunity to show the boy something about his new profession. As I have mentioned before, Snob said with as much patience as he could manage, we tailor our designs to your specific needs. If this were a tomb, or a prison for an unspeakable evil, then sure, there would be no reason to make the defenses anything other than impregnable. However, since you and your acolytes are going to be coming through here, certain measures had to be taken to make that possible. Be sure you latch that in well, he said to Qual. We don't want it going off before we have the trigger finished. You know, he continued to the high priest, I really don't think it's a very good idea to have that idol in here before we have this place activated. It really isn't secure. My priests are perfectly capable of guarding it. The power of Lobnot is all we need. So why hire me? Znob thought it, but kept it to himself. He had gotten used to the fact that these priests, who insisted that their gods were all-knowing, all-seeing, and all-powerful, still felt the need to have some very sharp objects around, just in case. Aloud, he said, "'As long as it's clear that our guarantee does not cover anything that happens to it before construction is completed.' "'I believe you have made that abundantly clear.' "'I'm done, sir.' "'Good. Well, then, let's—' Znob stopped and listened.' The sounds of an argument were coming from deeper in the temple, one voice raised and querulous, the other lower but losing patience. Znob listened for a moment, turned and led the way down the passage, skirting the unfinished trapdoors over the spike pit and squeezing between the walls that closed on giant gears. The acoustics of the place were such that they didn't know where the voices were coming from until they were almost on top of the speakers. "'I'm sorry, sir, but that simply is not practical at this stage in the construction.' said one voice. "'Do you think I'm going to listen to some girl telling me what's practical? Your master will hear about this,' declared the other. "'As a matter of fact,' Znob said as he came into view with Qual and the high priest trailing behind, "'my accounts manager has a very firm grasp of practicalities. What's the problem here?' "'The Grand Vizier was inquiring as to the possibility of including a self-destruct mechanism as part of the temple's defenses.' the girl said. Snob turned to address the skinny, indignant man before him. "'I'm afraid she's right. That sort of thing needs to be included in the original design of the building. It's nearly impossible to retrofit. And it really isn't something I would recommend. A minor user error can bring the whole place down on you.' "'Really, Kulak,' said the high priest, 
who didn't seem to want to go away. Why can't you just leave this to the professionals? I don't see why there would be a problem with my wanting to be involved with a project of such importance to our people. By the way, he said to Znob, have you given any thought to spiders? I heard that in Pablit they have a temple with a whole wall of spiders that jump down on your head. Very impressive, I thought. That sounds like Tiri Kalen's work. He does quite a lot of animal work. Sure, putting in spiders is no problem. Trouble is, spiders are hard to train, and sometimes they don't like staying where they're put, and then end up getting everywhere. Now, we have a lot to get done here, so unless there's anything else... As a matter of fact, the high priest cut in, we actually were interested in having this place be guarded by restless spirits who would pursue and punish any who would violate it. That is, unless your girl here would like to tell us it is not possible, added the Grand Vizier. Snob breathed a sigh of exhaustion and relief. No, we can handle that. We subcontract all of our hauntings with the Lady Palat. Tabalan can quote you the prices. The girl already had a codex out of her bag and was scrolling through the pictographs. Yes, here. For a standard haunting, guaranteed for eight centuries, it's 300 etens per ghost, plus an extra 150 if you want a warrior spirit. 300? But we can raise our own for nothing at all, said the high priest. I assure you, these are the highest quality of ghosts, Snob said. In all the years that I have dealt with Palat, we have only had three that have dematerialized or turned on their masters. Of course, you're welcome to introduce your own, as long as you understand that any damage they do to our traps won't be covered under the service contract. And I have to say, a number of our clients have had problems with rogue poltergeists. The high priest sniffed. It is something to consider, at least. Now, if you will excuse me, I have a number of duties to attend to. As do I, the Grand Vizier hastened to add. In fact, I have many very important things to do. The two walked away down the hazard-filled passage, arguing over whose work was more copious and significant. With them out of the way, Znob noticed a problem with one of the giant blades that hung from the ceiling and went to fix it, leaving his employees to eye each other. Um, do I know you? Qual asked. Tabalan gave him a quick once-over. I doubt it. Are you the new apprentice? Um, yeah. Are you sure? You look kind of familiar. Hers was not a face one would easily forget. She was young, probably not much more than a year over his seventeen, and she had the marks of a high-born beauty. Her nose and chin had been tortured into the most fashionable angles, and her movements and attitudes suggested a life of privilege. But her hair was cut straight and blunt, and her dress was plain, and besides, this was no place for a lady. Who are you? My name is Tabalin. I was the Zertat Festival Princess two years ago. Perhaps you remember me from that. Oh, well, yes, that's probably it. Qual stared at her, unsure of how exactly he should phrase his next question. So, um, the Zertat Festival... Doesn't that usually end with the sacrifice of the most beautiful and talented girl of her generation? Tabalan simpered slightly. That is the tradition. So, um, shouldn't you be kind of, you know, dead? Oh, that. I changed my mind. She rolled up the last of the scrolls and tucked it back in her bag. What's your name, anyway? It's Qual. Is that short for Qual and Ismunetel? Qual was about to reply when they were interrupted by a blood-curdling but short-lived scream. Znob, still dealing with his problems with the forty-pound blade, said some bad words and charged off down the hall. 
Tabalin and Qual looked at each other, shrugged in unison, and followed him. They caught up with their boss in one of the temple's many side passages to nowhere, designed to confuse and trap would-be thieves. Demonstrating the effectiveness of this one was the body of a man, skewered through the torso by three four-foot spikes. Snob was fuming. Damn it, they should have told me they were going to be testing this. They could have done serious damage to the mechanism. He was prying off a wall panel to do an inspection when the Grand Vizier came huffing up. Znob turned on him. Who gave the permission for this trap to be armed? I'll have you know these things can be dangerous if they aren't handled properly. The Grand Vizier, who had clearly expected to be the one doing the shouting around here, gulped and sputtered as he tried to readjust his approach. Well, I... that is... what do you mean? Look here, we... we can't be having this sort of thing. He's making a mess. This was true. Znob's traps were rarely designed to provide a tidy death. The Grand Vizier looked at him reproachfully. You really should be more careful with your work. I am careful with my work, Znob snapped. That's why, when I find out who's been messing with this, there's going to be some trouble. I didn't do it. The Grand Vizier was nothing if not a diplomat. Of course, he continued, with the air of someone making a casual comment. High Priest Batinop has been talking a lot about wanting some more protection for the idol. Perhaps... He let his voice trail off into a tone of casual accusation. It might have been more effective if in the next thirty seconds he hadn't been nearly knocked to the ground by rampaging clergy. The high priest had burst in, surrounded by half a dozen of his lesser officials, and looking everywhere but in front of him. Damn that insolent bastard! If I... Oh, you found him! The priest drew up short in front of the body, causing a three-bishop pile-up behind him. Well... "'Where is it?' "'Where is what?' asked Znob, who wasn't about to give up the role of angriest person in the room just yet. "'The idol! That infidel stole the idol!' A rapid search of the body and its surroundings failed to produce any sign of the missing relic. Then there was a general outbreak of shouting and recriminations, as was to be expected under the circumstances. While it was going on, Qual took the opportunity to have a closer look at the corpse— Neither young nor old, the man was dressed in the robes of a low-ranked priest, and he had the soft, pale look of one that had spent much of his life indoors and seated. He was lying on his back on the floor, with the spikes protruding well out of his chest. A tipped-up flagstone at his feet indicated how he had achieved his position. "'Looks pretty nasty, doesn't it?' Tabalan came and crouched next to the body with him. "'Well, I guess that's the problem with death traps,' Qual said." Sometimes they kill people. Like her employer before her, Tabalan snuck a look at the boy to see if he was joking. But Qual's expression remained steadfast and solemn, and she had to content herself with returning to the topic at hand. I wonder how it happened. I didn't think we were even going to arm this place yet. We weren't. Snob broke away from arguing with the dignitaries and came to join them. I didn't even have any workers in here today. So what are you suggesting? That your weapons are activating themselves? The Grand Vizier's question began as sarcasm, but it ended on a note of worry. Znob dismissed him with a snort. That isn't possible. Somebody must have armed this trap on purpose. Probably the same person who has your idol. But that could be anyone! The High Priest was hopping from one foot to the other, practically bursting with indignation. I thought we hired you to protect our sacred treasure, not to contribute to its theft! 
Qual noticed the way his master was gripping the wrench, and eased a few steps back. When Znob spoke, it was in a low, level voice that his apprentice had not heard before, and didn't want to hear again. "'As a matter of fact, you might remember that it was not long ago that I was reminding you of the... of the... "'Inadvisability,' Tabalin prompted, "'of the inadvisability of keeping that thing here before we had this place secured.' He met the high priest's eyes with a glare of solid anger. "'If you had taken my advice, this would not have been a problem. And as long as that is clear, I would like to point out that it is not, in fact, true that anyone could have done this. You should have realized from the plans I showed you that it would be impossible to activate any of these traps without detailed instructions.' "'Are you daring to suggest that one of us did this thing?' It isn't my business to suggest things. My business is to build secure traps, and the traps I build cannot be armed or disarmed without the master plans. You can make whatever you want of it. Well, said the Grand Vizier, I cannot speak for all present, of course, but as for myself, I was inspecting the pit you put in at the end of the southeast corridor. By the way, have you considered adding snakes to that?' Snakes. Why did they always want snakes? Znob had launched into his explanation of the prohibitive costs of care and feeding when the high priest boiled over again. Our nation is facing a serious spiritual crisis, and all you can talk about is livestock. If we do not return the idol to its rightful place, Lodnot will rain fires and plagues of newts down upon us all, and then you'll all be sorry. Newts? Quall asked. Newts! the high priest replied firmly. For so it was foretold by the great seer Ip, and so it will be if we don't find that damn thing soon. And as for you, he said, turning to the grand vizier, I'll have you know I was in the organ chamber for the entire time, preparing the vessels for the sacrifices that will be lovingly and joyously given to sanctify this place. Don't bet on that, Tabalin muttered, barely loud enough for Qual to hear. Did either of you see anyone doing anything during that time? "'Anyone with you, or walking by?' Znob asked the questions in a tone of such natural authority that no one took issue with them. The high priest answered first, shaking his head. "'No, I saw no one at all until my assistants came to tell me of this infidel's grievous crime.' He indicated the body with a flutter of his bejeweled hands. "'The priest with whom he was sharing guard duty had momentarily abandoned his posts for, uh, personal reasons, for which he will be duly punished.' and when he returned, he found that both the idol and his companion were gone. That was when I was notified of the tragedy. Until then, I worked undisturbed. I see. And you? Znab waved his hammer at the Grand Vizier. Who did you see? Nobody. I only meant to spend a moment inspecting that pit of yours, because I am a very busy man with a lot of important things to do, but there were some technical details that intrigued me, and I stayed longer than I meant. And I saw no one until all of those silly priests started running around, kicking up hell, and Bettina up here went racing off. So you followed? Well, of course. But when I got to that little room with all the doors, I decided I should check on what was going on down this way. So I came here directly. In other words, he got lost. Snob did not say so aloud, because he valued both his job and his head but he made a mental note that the new four-way junction design seemed to be effective. Look, the Grand Vizier went on, 
It's obvious what happened here. This priest wouldn't have been very bright. None of them are. He probably had an accomplice. That's who set the trap, and that's who has the idol. All we have to do is find him, and we'll get it back, without any lizards or anything. It's Newt's. But I will admit, Tapat was not the most original thinker. Not that we encourage that sort of thing. But he was very good at taking orders. Very obedient. He might well have done as you said. Would you say that it is plausible, Mr... Um... Znob? And I would say that it is at least possible, since there are two passages that go from here to the entrance, and my assistants and I were only in one of them. But it would still have to be someone who knew how to arm the trap. One of your people, then. We will have them interrogated immediately. I never tell my builders the secrets for any of my traps, for your protection and theirs. I will set them all personally, as I outlined in my project proposal. Well, the high priest sneered, that certainly is convenient. In the silence that followed, you could have heard a pin drop. So it was a bit of a shocker when Znab slammed his hammer on the floor. And despite the fact that he had a good three inches and fifty pounds on the contractor, the high priest quailed visibly when the smaller man approached. "'Now you listen to me,' Snob said. "'Whatever happened here is your problem, and it's about your people. And you can deal with it any way you want, but you can't take me on. Not you, or your god, or all his frogs.' A weak newts was all the holy man could manage to respond before making a rapid and undignified exit. The grand vizier followed his example, glancing over his shoulder as if he expected Znob to lunge at him, or possibly explode. Their entourages followed, and soon the only people left with the body were the builders and one very nervous-looking junior priest. "'Can we help you?' Znob snarled at him. The priest quailed visibly. Uh, "'Please, sir, I am supposed to collect him.' For his crime, he must suffer the seventeen unbearable torments before being tossed into the pit of endless despair, he recited in a sing-song voice, or else I'll get in trouble. Znob looked from the priest to the corpse and back again. You do know that he's dead? Yes, sir, but we have rules about this sort of thing. The builder shrugged. Well, I don't suppose he'll mind. He fiddled with the controls for a minute and stood back as the spikes retracted, passing out of the body with a squelching sound. Then he closed and latched the panel and nodded to his assistants. Come on, we have work to do. They came out of the dead-end passage into the junction of corridors that had given the Grand Vizier so much trouble. In his defense, it was a good one, with four dark doorways almost but not quite evenly spaced around its perimeter and acoustics that could make you think you were sneaking up on yourself. Here they stopped, and Snob looked carefully around before turning to his apprentice. "'Can you tell me where these doors lead?' "'Yes, sir.' If Quall was surprised by the question, he didn't show it. He just took a deep breath and looked around. "'This one here,' he said, indicating the way they had just come, "'leads to a dummy passage with three traps, one of which has already been tested and proven effective.' To the left of that is the entrance route with its two alternate paths for use in case of malfunction or user error. He paused for a minute to let a sweaty young priest pass, corpse in tow, then continued. The next door is for a secondary corridor, which passes the treasure room but does not connect to it, bends once and runs straight back, leading to several chambers and ending with a Hacha-style pit. He glanced at his boss and, seeing no sign of disapproval, made another quarter turn and continued. The last passage leads to the main chamber, 
It has three and a half turns and eight traps, including one that dumps half a ton of stone to block the passageway if the item is removed. Znob didn't reply. He was staring at the doorways, apparently lost in thought. After a while, without moving or turning his head, he said, So what do you make of that? Make of it, sir? Well, it's a very modern temple with a good variety of traps. I think that a thief would have a very hard time stealing anything from it. At least, as long as he waited for us to finish building it. And it doesn't suggest anything else to you? Nothing about how that idol could have made it out of here? Um, not really, sir. Hmm. Znob relapsed into silence for a minute, then grunted and hauled his bag of tools up over his shoulder. Tell the men to pack up, he said to Dabalin. We're done for today. Then he walked off before either of his assistants could respond. Qual waited to be sure he was gone before speaking. Is he always like that? Pretty much. Tabalan looked up from the scroll she was marking. Is that a problem? No. He's just a kind of funny boss, you know? I've had worse. The next morning, dawn came and went without the work being resumed. Tabalan and Qual were standing around the fire outside of their temporary huts, fretting about lost billable hours and staring off into space, respectively, when Snob approached. He took a sip of his cacao, which he brewed so strong that no one else on the crew would touch it, and looked towards the city. "'Seems like there's a lot going on over there,' he said. Qual nodded. "'The fire started around midnight. I don't know how long the drums have been going.' "'Too damn long,' Tabalan said." They're going crazy over that idol of theirs. Yeah. Znob drained his cup and wiped his mouth. Looks like I'm going to have to deal with that. But, Snob, said Dabalin, you said you didn't care about that. Let the Zelicians figure it out. It's none of our business. No, but it has a lot to do with our business. Met by uncomprehending stares from his employees, Znob sighed. Okay, he said. Who can tell me what we do here? Qual, come on, humor me. Well, um, I think that we design and build high-quality death traps to protect tombs, religious items, and other valuable artifacts, sir. Very good. Now, what do you think happens if there isn't any artifact to protect? He looked around his little group as comprehension dawned. No idol, no job. We'll be damn lucky if we can even get paid for the work we've already done here. So what are we going to do? Tabalin asked. You two are going to get this camp cleaned up. And if I'm not back by nightfall, you're going to get the men and yourselves the hell out of here. Where are you going? To get that idol back. Znob found the interior of the royal palace oddly cold after the heat of the jungle. He entered through one of the palace's side doors and, despite the heavy security, passed through its corridors largely unacknowledged. This was partly because his job placed him outside of the rigid social structure that governed these places— not knowing where he belonged, and not wanting to think about that, most people simply ignored him, and partly because he knew how these places were designed. He made it to the palace's innermost chamber virtually unmolested. The room's only occupant was surprised to see him there, and even more so when Znob walked directly to the far wall, twisted a bit of the elaborately carved ornamentation, and swung open the small cupboard door that appeared. "'What are you doing?' Prince Lachette demanded." Just taking this back so I can get on with my work, Snob replied, removing the idol from its hiding place. It was surprisingly light, and close up, Snob could see that it was nothing more than a piece of wood, crudely carved and gilded with a thin coat of gold that was starting to peel at the corners. 
He tucked it under his arm and turned to go. Don't mind me. How dare? What do you... Who told you? And how did you get in there? No one can get in there. The prince, a pudgy boy who couldn't have been a day over fifteen, was hopping with fury. Anger aside, he was not a terribly prepossessing figure. His attempts to grow a regal beard had only resulted in patches of soft down dotting his jawline, and the chain that held the great seal of office looked like it could snap his neck by the sheer weight of it. Znob gave him a businesslike glance. "'No one told me,' he said. "'Nobody had to. Old Sinhoten did this place, right?' Great man, made some major advances in beheading technology, but he only knew about three hidden compartments. There are probably fifty palaces, all up and down the peninsula, that have the same one. The boy had to open and shut his mouth a few times before he could get any sound out. Who who sent you? Like I said, no one. I knew it was here because I knew you killed that man. And, by the way, I did not provide those plans so that the traps could be activated without my supervision. It was a matter of full disclosure only. I will not tolerate this! All right, just as long as you know that it's going to void the warranty. And why me? Suddenly, Lachette sounded less like the supreme ruler of 12,683 people, and more like a querulous teenager. Kulak and Batinup saw those plans, too! Both of them have been trying to take over this country for as long as I can remember. In fact, I think they may have known about that compartment. As you say, they're very common. Obviously, one of them must have done it. I'm afraid not. You see, while neither of them had an alibi exactly, and you were taking a risk there, there was no way either of them could have made it past the other without being seen. Then they conspired against me. Yeah, yeah, that must be it. This was all a trick. Znob shook his head. Sorry, Your Highness, I'm not buying that. Once you've been in this game a bit longer, you'll know that if there's one thing Grand Viziers and High Priests can't do, it's work together. Znob was still annoyed, but there was something pathetic about this young monarch that caused him to soften his tone. Look, I'm not going to cause any trouble for you. I'm just going to get this thing back where it belongs so that I can get on with my work. I don't know what you wanted to accomplish by making it disappear, but having it reappear unexpectedly should be just about as good, I'd imagine. No! the prince shouted, his voice cracking. You can't take it back! I won't let you! Snob raised his eyebrows. Not that it's any of my business, but why? This is your religion, isn't it? You can't just take it away. It's a stupid religion, said the prince, slumping back into his throne. I don't like it. They spent all their time talking about their stupid god. Lob not this, lob not that. I'm sick of it. Well, he is your god. But I'm their prince. They should be talking about me, not some dumb god nobody ever sees. And they give him the prettiest girls and everything. Snob stared at him. So you want to take their god away? They don't deserve it. Anyway, I'm the one they should be paying attention to. I'm the prince, he repeated, still whining. The boy is actually serious, Znob thought. He shook his head. Look, he said, you don't know what you're doing here. You can't just get rid of religion like that. People need their gods. I've seen it everywhere. But they give him everything. All the praise, all... All the blame, too, Snob interrupted. Who do you think they're going to turn to when their crops fail if they haven't got a god? Trust me. He patted the idol under his arm. You're much better off this way. The prince tapped his fingers on the arm of his throne. Perhaps, he said, with some of his former impetuousness returning. But I see no need for you to be involved. 
You do know that you're not getting out of here alive. Young man, I invented not getting out of places alive. I will be fine. You should be worried. Impudent fool! I could have you killed in a minute! That might not be a very good idea. You see, I set, oh, seven or eight, maybe twelve small traps on my way in, mostly poison-based, all pretty nasty. Now, either I pick them up on my way out, or you won't be able to take a step in this place without wondering if it will be your last. Are we clear? As he spoke, Snab watched the prince turn red, then white, then green. Good. I'm going to take this back now, and since I am interested in having as little trouble as possible, I am not going to make it generally known where it came from. Now, on the other hand, if anything were to happen to me or my people, well, you know how fast these rumors can spread. He looked back at the prince, impotently angry on his gaudy throne. You might want to give some more thought to the religion thing, he said, as kindly as he could. There's a reason why people need gods. Just like they need rulers. What about you? the prince demanded. Don't you need gods? The snob smiled. No, he said. Gods need me. It took them a little under two weeks to finish the work on the temple, which went much smoother once someone managed to convince the Grand Vizier that it really wasn't going to be practical to hang jaguars up on ropes and have them swing down on intruders. They had packed up their tools and broken camp, and Znab and his crew were heading off to their next job. Tabalin turned around to take one last look at the temple. I thought that went rather well, all things considered. Once we got a few wrinkles ironed out, Snob agreed. The prince seemed fairly happy to have us leave, said Qual. What was he like, anyway? A bit rough still, but I think he may have the makings of a decent tyrant. Did you leave a card? Tabalin asked. We really have to get these rulers to realize that it's never too early to start work on a tomb if they want a good one. Well, I... Damn, what did I step on? Znob peeled a small animal off his sandal by the tail. It looks like a newt, Qual offered, but it's hard to tell. But look, there's a live one. And another. And there are five, no, six more over here. Tabalan pointed to the side of the trail. They're all headed for the city. But why? asked Qual. We return the idol. Tabalan shrugged. Maybe they didn't get the memo. The three of them watched the low-speed invasion for a while. Then, as one, they decided that this was not their problem, and continued on against the rising tide of amphibians. Yes, much fun. I think I'm going to have that image of Jaguar swinging on ropes in my head for a few weeks to come. If you'd like to let us know what you think, go to our website and give us a comment. It's escape.extraneous.org. This week we have no book review, because nobody sent us one. This is an easy way to get your voice heard, guys. I know for certain that a fair number of you read books. And I bet that you probably have opinions about them, am I right? If I am, all you gotta do is call 206-666-EPOD and tell us why Book 7 of the Dark Tower series sucked. Yeah, I threw that one out to rally you up. I do have an important announcement, however. This is TSFPN.com, the sci-fi podcast network, out of this world entertainment. Escape Pod is now a proud member of the Science Fiction Podcast Network. 
This is a group being put together by author Michael Stackpole to create a sort of one-stop shop for quality podcasts with skiffy themes. There's a lot of fine ear candy there, so go to tsfpn.com and take some podcasts home with you. In addition, I'd like to thank Michael and Evo at the Dragon Page, again, for giving some time to Escape Pod on their cover-to-cover radio show and podcast. It was a fun interview, even if over there I don't get to edit out my ums and ahs. You're doing great things, guys. Keep it up. Escape Pod is a listener-supported podcast. We pay our authors for allowing us to bring you these great stories. If you'd like us to keep doing it, you can either send us next week's lottery numbers, or you can go onto our webpage and click the donate button. Anything you can contribute to us helps us. The other thing you can do, of course, is tell your friends. A lot of people are looking for new things to listen to in their cars. You can make their day with this. As you know, Bob, we release under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. And surely you know that means that you can give this audio file to anyone you like, so long as you don't use it for commercial purposes or irradiate it with gamma rays, transforming its material structure. You also know that all other rights reside with our authors. Don't make them angry. You wouldn't like to see them angry. The music is provided by permission of Daikaiju. Battle not with giant monsters, lest ye become a giant monster. And if you gaze into rock and roll, rock and roll gazes also into you. This has been Steve Ely. Until next week, keep smiling. Until your face gets tired, then stop. <laughs>